Uh, it is 100 seconds to midnight. That is according to the doomsday clock. Uh, do you know about this? Uh, every year, a group of experts at the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists meet to discuss how close the world is to nuclear annihilation. And when it first launched in 1947, we were apparently seven minutes to midnight. Uh, for a while in the early 1990s, we were 17 minutes to midnight. Yet last month, the status was changed to the closest it has ever been. Uh, here's how the 2020 Doomsday Clock statement began. It said, to the leaders and citizens of the world, re closer than ever, it is 100 seconds to midnight. They said humanity continues to face two simultaneous existential dangers, nuclear war and climate change, that are compounded by a threat multiplier, cyber-enabled information warfare, that undercuts society's ability to respond. Their summary was this, the international security situation is dire. Well, I don't know what you came for at the lunchtime service today. <laughs> it's not a cheerful start. Is it? Look, the, the doomsday clock is designed to communicate two things. One is the importance of the issues that it addresses. The other is the urgency with which the world ought to respond to those issues. It's 100 seconds to midnight. You could hold your breath for that long. Literally, we are but a breath away from the end of the world, they say. It is that important. It's that urgent. Now, look, you might feel it's alarmism. And you might not have come here this lunchtime to have fears stoked and encouraged. I, I don't want to do that today. But I do want to take seriously the importance and the urgency of what the Apostle John is writing about in this section of his letter, which we've just read. It is something of a crash landing to come into. Just look down at verse 18 there, where we began our reading. He writes, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. That is how we know it is the last hour. And it's urgent what he has to say. In Bible terms, the last days it is that period of time between the first coming of Jesus and, and the second coming of Jesus, when he'll return in glory to bring about his reign and his rule in all of its fullness forever. Jesus himself said that nobody knew the time at which he would return. But he urged his followers to be vigilant, to be ready for his return, as it would be sudden and swift. So the New Testament speaks of the last days or the last day. And here John goes one better, the last hour. And it certainly sounds important, doesn't it? It's not a casual conversation to start mentioning the Antichrist. It's important, it's urgent. It has to do with the truth about Jesus. Now I think there are two themes to John's message here. I want to draw them out in these few moments uh, that follow. Here's, here's the first of them. You've been warned what to expect. You've been warned what to expect. Uh, what is life like in this last hour? How should we live? Well, John wants us to be vigilant, to be warned that there are those around us who would oppose Jesus. He labels them anti-Christ. 
We've got to read between the lines just a little bit to see what's been going on. Uh, We're not told exactly where the letter was written, but very early Christian writers held that the Apostle John was living in Ephesus, uh, modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor in those days. And as he was writing, he probably had a local context in mind, but a regional audience. Some people from among the early churches there had begun to challenge the message about Jesus that John and the other apostles had held to. So if you remember back in chapter 1, John stressed that he had seen and touched Jesus. Uh, This is what he wrote. Uh, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He stresses his eyewitness credentials. He reminds his readers that his message about Jesus is what he knew to be true. Well, others are saying something different. So back in chapter 2, verse 19, uh, they, these others, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. These were rival teachers who taught a rival message. It seems that they'd come up within the church, but they departed from it because they departed from the truth about Jesus. John says this shows they never really belonged to the church to begin with. And it's a pattern repeated throughout the 2,000 years of church history. People have taken the Bible and either added things to it or taken things away from it, and they've been left with something that is no longer authentic Christianity. So glance at verse 22 there. John, again, he, he isn't mincing his words. He asks, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The central claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus is the Christ. Fully man, born as a baby in Bethlehem to parents from Nazareth. He was flesh and blood. You could touch him. He wept and bled and died. And yet also fully God. The eternal word of God made flesh, making his dwelling among us. The human race was in the grip of sin, in great need of a saviour. We needed one who was like us, and able to act as a substitute for us, and able now to represent us before the Father in heaven. See how John is at pains to show the, the unique relationship between Jesus and the Father. Uh, To know the Son is to know the Father. It is how we can know the Father. And the opposite is true. Uh, Getting wrong who Jesus is means that we get wrong who the Father is. So verse 23 again, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. If you lose either one of those truths, that Jesus is fully human and fully God, if you lose either one of those truths, you lose the Christian gospel, and with it you lose Christian hope. The sober warning is that we should expect to hear false teaching about Jesus cropping up. We should be on high alert, should be vigilant, should be conscious. We're going to come up against it sooner or later. 
It is against Christ. It will keep us from the kingdom. So we've got to be vigilant and we've got to keep our distance from it. It would be unwise, it would be dangerous not to. Uh, Let me tell you about one of my sisters for a moment. Uh, She is allergic to nuts. And now there are different types of nut allergies. She's the type that is allergic to things that are actually nuts, to hazelnuts, Brazil nuts, cashew nuts, that sort of thing. She's not allergic to almonds, which are seeds technically, or or to peanuts, which are legumes. We can talk about the science later. (laughs) What is important for the sake of this story is that she can quite safely eat peanuts. So when we were in primary school, and when my mum would send us with a packed lunch each day with some sandwiches, she would give my sister peanut butter. Perfectly good for her. Make her nice and strong and healthy. But for reasons entirely beyond my comprehension, my mother felt that we other siblings would be better off eating something called three-nut butter. It looks similar, it tastes similar, but it contains other nuts. It happens to pose a potentially lethal threat to my sister. Well, this danger was noted and it was mitigated against in this way. As sandwiches were prepared day by day, they were wrapped in cling film and a coloured sticky dot was put on different types of sandwiches. They were bundled in a bag, we were sent off to school, uh, off we went. Well, look, you can all see where this story is going by a country mile, can't you? It ends with my sister, face swelling to the size of a pumpkin, violently vomiting in the staff room at school. Now, please, before you start dialing social services, I, I do want to do stress, this was a long time ago, we're all happy and healthy, it's all okay. Like everything else in my childhood, what didn't kill us made us stronger, it's fine. But here's the point. You don't put poison on a shelf in a cupboard alongside something that's healthy, do you? You don't have it in the house at all. It doesn't belong there. It poses a danger to everybody's health. Uh, And remember where this passage began in verse 18. Uh, The tone of John's writing throughout his letter here, he keeps saying, dear children, dear children. He cares for them. He loves them. He wants what's best for them. And so when he uses strong language, he does it out of love. That's why he warns them in such strong words about the threat posed to them by these false teachers. He urges them to stay clear away from them because it's important and it's urgent. You've been warned what to expect. How ought we to respond, though? How should this shape our thinking and our living uh, this afternoon and the days ahead in the weeks ahead? Well, that is our second. It's our briefer theme to pull out of here. You have been given what you need. You've been given what you need. If we're talking about insiders and outsiders here, well, John certainly writes as if he's addressing the insiders. He talks about them and you. Glance down again at verse 20. Uh, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, 
and because no lie comes from the truth. Or or skip to verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised to us, eternal life. Just as John witnessed to the truth about Jesus, he witnessed to the truth about Jesus. All the apostles did, all the New Testament writers did. They received a message and they passed it on. He wants to encourage them that the Christian faith is not based on hearsay. It's not something that is passed from generation to generation over time, drifting away from what is true and verifiable. He wants them to have confidence that the truth about Jesus in history is eyewitness news. And it's a truth that we have received, that we hold in our hands here and now. And in that, we're no more removed than John's first readers were from the time and the truth about Jesus. And if you're just looking into Christian things here and you're not sure what to make of claims about Jesus, I hope this gives you a strong starting point. Read the testimony about the person of Jesus in the pages of the Bible. See what you make of him. We stand and speak about Jesus and many excellent books have been written about Jesus and they're a great help to us. Do listen and read, but they're only worth listening to and reading insofar as they keep to the truth about Jesus in the Bible. It's why here at the lunchtime service, we're keen to have the Bible open. Read it, see for yourself. As a church here at All Souls, we're encouraging people to look at the Bible together with others informally, a little resource called the Word One-to-One. It has the first chapter of John's Gospel to read together simply to see what's there. And the invitation is, what do you make of him? No bells, no whistles, no traditions to add in, no bits that we're embarrassed of that we're trying to cut out or downplay, just what we've received passed on. And if that's where you are and that's what you'd find helpful, well, I'd love to talk to you, so would Ian. We'd love to look at the Bible together. But however and wherever you explore the person of Jesus more, can I at least urge you to seek people and to seek resources who encourage you to read the Bible as it is, unchanged, nothing added, nothing taken away. Faith is grounded in truth, and that's where you'll find it. And in fact, that's a good reminder for the Christian believers here too. That anointing word in verse 20, and again in verse 27, that word is something true about you. An anointing from the Holy One. It's actually a play on words. Uh, In the Greek, it's chrism, which is linked to the word for Christ, the anointed one. The Apostle Paul used that same play on words when he wrote to the Corinthian church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 21, he wrote, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It means we're not alone, that God's spirit is in us. We are anointed because we are in Christ, in the anointed one. And that means that our authority is him and his word, not some other authority. You've been given what you need to know him, to trust him, to follow him. 
So verse 27 here in our passage, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. It's the Spirit of God who makes Christ known to us. It's the Spirit of God who keeps us in Christ. There's no secret code to being a Christian that some expert has to crack. There's no special handshake or certificate that's going to unlock more truth about Jesus. It is knowing Jesus in his word, empowered and enabled by his Holy Spirit. It can be difficult holding to the truth about Jesus when those around us would try to lead us astray, opposing Christ and his ways. Some of you, I know, work in environments where you feel conflicted about the culture, feeling a pull in different directions. It's why staying in the truth is so important, remaining in Jesus. Keep meeting with his people, keep reading his word, keep encouraging one another all the more. It gives us confidence to stand when we know that our foundation is secure. And it gives us confidence when we feel weak, when we feel like we don't have the wise or winsome answer to every question that people might ask us about our faith, Uh, maybe where we're tempted to skirt over aspects of the Christian faith and the Christian life. Uh, Maybe we fear that people won't like what we have to say. They might not like how we live all the time. It gives us confidence because it is the truth about Jesus that has united us with him and brought us to the Father. The truth about Jesus that keeps us remaining in him, anointed by, enabled by, empowered by his Holy Spirit, enabled to live for him, to speak for him. You've been given what you need in word and in spirit. It is the love that keeps us in the truth. And with that in mind, I wanted our final song today to remind one another about the truth of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of whom I've been speaking. It's a setting of the creed, words that Christians have said for centuries. I'm sure familiar to many. Maybe the rest of us can pick it up as we go along. I thought it was good for us to remind ourselves of some central foundations of the Christian gospel as we end our time together. So the musicians are going to come up and we're going to sing as we close.